Hey, good morning. Uh, my name is David Soren. I am the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. Welcome to our grand opening. We are uh, so excited that you're here. Hey, we are starting a brand new teaching series uh, this morning, and it is called God Never Fails. And so we're going to take uh, six weeks, and for six weeks, we're going to talk about God's faithfulness and how he never fails us, well, which is really good because I feel like, I don't know about you, but I feel like I've been failing a lot, like this week, just in the way that I talk to other people or I interact with other people. Sometimes I feel like I've been failing to even get like the really simple things right. I've always had this thing, I don't know if you have this, but I have this thing that when I get really busy, my mind gets so preoccupied on other things that I can't seem to do even simple things right. So like these past few weeks, for example, I've been really preoccupied thinking about this day, about grand opening, and I've struggled to do simple things. Like for instance, I've struggled to even drive my car to the right place. Anybody ever done this? Like you drive somewhere else and you're like, Why, how am I here? Right? How did I get here? I literally, at the end of this week, I had Siri give me directions to my house. And so I'd take a left. So I would get to my home, right? It got so bad a couple days ago, I was cleaning my kitchen. And I, there was a pop can left on the counter from like the day before. And I had a little bit you know, left in it. So I thought, oh, you know, I'll dump it out in the sink and clean up or whatever. So I go to dump it out. And I started thinking again about stuff. And there I was, dumping it out on my kitchen counter. Like, who does that? It's just epic fail. And so we're going to talk for six weeks about how God never fails. And for those six weeks, we are going to teach through one of the greatest chapters in all of the Bible, and that is Romans chapter 8. Romans is actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul, who was one of the early leaders of Christianity. He wrote this letter about 25 years or so after Jesus died and resurrected. And so we want to look at that today. So if you would... Uh, Let's look at the Bible together. So I want everybody to grab a Bible. So if you look under the chair in front of you, or if you're in the front row, it's under your seat, there is a Bible. So everybody grab one, and we're going to be on page 772. And then when you get there, you're going to look for the big number eight on that page, because we're in uh, chapter eight. By the way, uh, speaking of the Bible, if you don't have a Bible... Uh, this is our, the Bible that you're holding right now is our gift to you. We would actually like you to take it today. In the front cover, there's even a a Bible reading plan taped in there that helps you just start with some of the easiest books in the Bible. We seriously would love for you to take this with you today, and you can start investigating and seeing what the Bible actually is all about. Also, speaking of the Bible, I want to let you know that we are a Bible-teaching church, and so I don't just stand on the stage every week and give my opinion on a trendy topic and then... uh, tack a Bible verse on at the end. We teach through a passage of scripture, uh, often an entire chapter at a time. Sometimes we teach through an entire book of the Bible at a time, just verse by verse by verse. And we do that because we want you to know, we want you to understand God's word that has been given to us uh, in the Bible. Okay, so we're going to look. start right at verse 1, which is kind of right under that heading. You see where it says, life through the Spirit, under the 8. So we're starting right there at uh, verse 1. Here's what Paul writes. He says, therefore... There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, this is incredible news. Uh, Condemnation is a word that we use once in a while, but not all that often. So let me kind of define it. Condemnation actually means two things. It means, one, to judge someone as guilty, and then, two, it's also to sentence them to be punished. So let me give you an example of this. Uh, The other day, I was at Best Buy, which, uh, not to be uh, confused with Blockbuster, it actually still does exist. You can go to a Best Buy. I was there. And while I was at Best Buy, 
I witnessed a robbery from afar on the other side of the store. It sounds worse than it was. It was some teenagers stealing video games. They just, I don't know, had to have Zelda or, or something. And the Best Buy employees, they were shouting at them, and they were trying to chase them a little bit. But there's only so much you can do, right? And so the teenagers ran out, and they had the video games. But let's just say it was a different scenario. Let's say a police officer happened to be there, and they arrest the teenagers for stealing video games. Well, condemnation would be like at the trial, the judge saying, you are guilty for stealing Zelda and Mario Kart 46 or whatever they're on, and I'm sentencing you to your punishment, which is four days in jail or whatever. That's condemnation. It's both guilt and punishment. And so what the Apostle Paul is saying in verse 1 of Romans 8 is that if you are in Christ, there is no condemnation. So in other words, you won't be deemed guilty. You won't suffer any punishment in eternal life, that you would go to heaven and not hell. And maybe that sounds kind of heavy to think about or even talk about. Listen, I don't, I don't know what your background is. Maybe you've grown up in church your whole life. Uh, maybe you haven't been in the doors of a church in 10 years. Maybe you've never been in a church before. But here's what I think one of the great things about church is. When you come to church, you get to just take some time to think about really what are the deeper questions of life. It's like the type of questions that probably don't naturally come up at like your fantasy football draft. Or if you're just out with friends dining at a fine establishment like say Culver's or something, right? But at church, we can think about questions that we all do truly have. Like, how can I actually know God? And what, what does happen when, when I die? And all sorts of different questions about God. You can think about them while you're here. And I think it's great that we can do that. Even though sometimes it might even feel a bit uncomfortable, especially if you're not used to thinking or talking about those sort of subjects. But what God is showing us here through Paul's inspired writing is that there is a way to face no condemnation to know God, to go to heaven. However, what I find is a lot of people nowadays aren't familiar with this truth, and it's because there are two really common misconceptions out there in our culture about condemnation and about eternal life. And so I'm going to show you these two misconceptions as we keep kind of teaching through these first few verses of Romans 8 here. So here's the first misconception about how we have eternal life and how we face no condemnation. And I'm going to kind of rephrase it here, just kind of changing the words of Romans 8.1. So a lot of people nowadays believe there is now no condemnation for anyone. Maybe you hear this said a lot nowadays. People usually say something like, well, here's the deal. God is love, and so therefore, no matter what I do, no matter how I live, God won't condemn me because he's love. And so obviously I'm going to go to heaven. Everyone's going to heaven. There's no such thing as condemnation. It's a really popular view in our culture. But we want to look at like what, okay, ideally we all want to find the truth, right? What is the actual truth? In our culture, we really value opinion, right? But at the end of the day, what you want is truth because none of us Okay, if there is a God, none of us can die and then go in front of God and, and you know, hear what he has to say and say, oh, that's really nice, God, I hear you, but here's my truth. That's, that's not going to work, right? You want to know what is the truth. 
So what is the truth of God's revealed word to us? Well, we saw part of it in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But now as we look to verse 2, you're going to see verse 2 actually teaches the opposite of this first misconception. So let's read verse 2. Paul says, Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Okay, now even if you've been a Christian for a long time, a few of these phrases in this particular passage might not make a ton of sense. So let's unpack them. That's what we do here. We want to help explain the Bible so you can better understand it. So what is the law of sin and death that Jesus can set us free from? Okay, you can think of it this way. God has his own law, right? His own moral code of what is right and what is Wrong. It's all over the Bible, right? He has a law for how we should treat each other people, how we should treat him. You know, it's things like love your neighbor, don't abuse anyone. Or if you just think of like the Ten Commandments, right? Do not lie, do not steal, do not commit adultery, all of those things. Okay, but what happens if you break one of God's laws? Well, what happens if you break a normal law, like a federal law or a state law? Well, let me give you an example. Let's say... Okay, let's say I am so excited that they finally finished working on 35W after the last 47 years or whatever, right? They're done. And so I, I, I go out on 35W and I am cruising at 95 miles an hour in my Honda Odyssey minivan, right? I got the windows down. I apparently have a crank window. I don't know what's through here, right? And I'm just enjoying it, right? And then, woo! Okay, so I'm arrested. What happens? Condemnation happens. I am guilty, and then there is some sort of punishment for it, because I broke the law. Okay, so what Paul is saying is the biblical law of sin and death is this. Even if I break just one of God's laws, which by the way, you, you can't make it through the day. You probably can't make it through the next hour without breaking one of those laws. Even if I break just one, then the consequence is condemnation. Earlier, same letter, Romans chapter 6, verse 23, Paul says this, for the wages of sin, that's like the result, what you get, you know, it's the wages, right? What we get for sin is death. That's a law of sin and death. So it's saying, if I sin, what I actually deserve from a just God is death. It's eternal separation from God. Okay, time out for a second. Because some of you are sitting here like, whoa, this is, this is like, intense. And maybe you're thinking, I'm not sure that I even like hearing this. Maybe you're thinking, who invited me to this church? Okay, here's what I would say to you. I want you to keep listening because sometimes in order to get to a beautiful destination, you have to walk along a hard road first. I'll also give you some good advice. Usually the least trustworthy people in life are the people that just say, hey, you know what? Everything's going to be fine. We're all going to be fine. You don't need to worry about anything. See, this, this first misconception that we're talking about, the idea that there's no condemnation, everybody's fine, is actually a direct result from people jumping off ship right here. Where we talk about sin and God's justice, and people go, I don't like that. And so I'm, I, I just don't like it. So I'm going to say, you know, God is love. It doesn't matter. Everybody, everybody in. 
here's the deal. When you jump off ship right here, you actually end up missing. You end up not seeing the beautiful, magnificent, glorious picture of God that we're going to paint if we keep going. And besides, I'll just, I'll just pitch it to you intellectually. So put on your thinking cap for a second. Because a lot of people, I think they say, oh, you know what, God is love. It doesn't really matter. Sin, none of that matters. But they fail to like, intellectually carry out the ramifications of such an argument. I would even ask you, is a God that's just love and doesn't condemn anyone and brings everyone to heaven, which you will find nowhere in the Bible, is that sort of God even worthy of your respect? I'll pitch it to you this way. Okay, imagine that someone has really harmed you or someone has really hurt someone in your family. It's, and let's just say it's bad. It's really bad, the type of stuff we don't even want to think about. But let's say that person is caught and they're brought before a judge. And the trial goes on and the judge is getting ready to give his verdict and you've been hoping and hoping and hoping that this is a really honorable judge, right? One with principle and character and integrity. And the judge starts to give his verdict and he says, you know what, I just first want to say, I just love everyone. People can live how they want and make their own choices. I don't have a law. I don't have standards. And so, sir, you are free to go on no condemnation. How would you feel? Wouldn't you be irate? You'd be like, this is the worst judge in the history of judges. You would say, what I want is justice. Okay, now, if that's true, then why do people think that a God with no standards or no justice is somehow a beautiful picture of God? I actually have a theory for this. I think it's because deep down we want God to treat us differently than the Hitlers and Osama bin Ladens of the world. Like we look at them and we're like, yeah, there better be justice for that. You know what I'm saying? There's going to be justice. And then we look at ourselves, we're like, you know, God, if you could just kind of, kind of just overlook what I'm... Okay, so here's the thing. That thing that's within so many of us, if you could just not have standards or justice for me, actually is connected to the second most common misconception that people have about this topic in America. So let's look at the second misconception now. And again, we'll kind of rephrase it from Romans 8.1. The second misconception is this. People say, there is now no condemnation for those who are good enough. I find many, many, many people in this country believe this when you really dig deep down. If you, if you could sit down with someone for a half an hour and say, let's just talk about what happens after this life. Now, are you going to heaven? Why are you going to heaven? I think a ton, millions of people in this country would say, well, it's because I'm ultimately, I'm a good person. I didn't kill anyone. You know, I work hard. I try and be kind to my neighbor. I try to do good things, and I go to church once in a while, and so I'm, I'm going to heaven. My friend, as someone who has spent much of his life studying the Bible, I will tell you the Bible spends about 800 pages trying to disprove this very thought. And you can see it right here in our passage today. So let's, let's go to verse 3 now. And I'm just going to read the first half. There's so much in here. So Paul says, For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. Okay, let me just pause there for a second and explain some of those terms. Now remember the law, that's, that's God's law, that's his 
standard for what's right and wrong, for morality. Paul is saying right here in verse 3 that obeying God's law, being moral, well, that's good. It's actually even helpful to you. It can't actually save you. He says it's powerless to save you. It can't give you eternal life. Why? He says because it's weakened by the flesh. The flesh in the Bible, that's like us and the sinful choices we make. Okay, but what, what does it mean, though? Okay, it means this. It means despite all of the nice deeds that we think that we do, those nice deeds can't erase the condemnation for the bad deeds that we all do. Uh, it kind of goes back to God being an honorable, just judge, right? Even if I've sinned once, right? I get really mad at someone, and I, whatever, right? You just pick anything you want. Even if I sin once, if God is truly just and I break his law, then that justice, according to the scripture, is separation from a good and holy God for eternity. Or here's another way to think about how the law is powerless to save you. Okay, let's say someone's in court again, and there's a judge, and let's say that person's crime is tax evasion. But let's say the person gets to make their own final statement, and they look at the judge, and they say, Your Honor, before you make your decision, I, just, I, want, I want you to keep this in mind. Two months ago, I mowed my neighbor's lawn for him when he was out of town, and he didn't even ask me to. And so I would like you to keep that in mind when you think about the fact that I haven't paid my taxes since 1998, right? Okay, this is exactly what Paul's saying in, in Romans. Our good deeds, like, just like in that situation, are powerless to help us when we've broken a law. And if God is a just judge, then there must be condemnation for our sin. But my friends, listen, this is, this right here is where the story goes from hard to beautiful. So let's read the rest of verse three now. So look at it. Paul says, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. So our good deeds are powerless to save us, but God has the power to save us by sending Jesus. And he sent Jesus, it says, in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now, that just means Jesus was in heaven, he's the son of God, but he come, how does he come to earth? In flesh, right? But Jesus lives the life that we couldn't. He lives a perfect life. And so then it says Jesus becomes a sin offering. And that just means that God has offered his son Jesus, and Jesus willingly went, to die in your place on the cross. And so when Jesus dies on the cross, this is so key, and I think most people out there don't even understand this, and this is the central point of Christianity. When Jesus is dying on the cross, what he was doing is he is taking the rightful justice that was meant to come upon you, and he's taking it in your place. Let me explain this with a story. Long ago, uh, there was a, a man named Shamil. Now, Shamil lived in a really difficult country, and he was a leader of a group of people that were trying to overthrow an evil dictator. And they kind of had to be on the run a decent amount, but they brought their families with them as they ran around. Well, because times were so tough for them and they were on the run, what happened was their own people started to break into their supply tent and steal food because they were just so hungry. 
Well, one night after it happened again, Shamil, the leader, was so outraged that he gathered all the people together and he said, from now on, anyone caught stealing food from our supply tent will be subject to a public whipping. Well, not long after that, a few days later, Shamil's lieutenant informs him, it's happened again. Somebody, somebody stole food from, from the supply tent. And so Shamil, he, he tells all the people, all right, everybody start gathering. We're all coming together. Start assembling. And just as the people are almost fully assembled, someone comes up to Shamil and whispers in his ear, and he says, but sir, the person that was caught stealing was your elderly mother. Well, now what do you do? So the people are sitting there. Everybody hears about who it is. And their eyes are just transfixed on Shamil. And what he does is he pronounces condemnation. She was guilty. And the punishment for the crime was a public whipping. And so they grab his mother, his elderly mother. She's shaking. And they tie her up to a post. And then Shamil walks over to his own mother. And then he takes off his shirt and he completely covers his mother with his own body. And he says to the lieutenant, begin the whipping. And in this way, justice is still satisfied. Nobody's questioning Shamil as a leader, right? And his love for his mother is still proven. The penalty is still paid, but it is paid by Shemiel. And that is the truth of the Bible, that Jesus Christ loves you so much that he took the punishment that you deserved for you. That is beautiful. You know, there, there may be some of you in this room that have been carrying around condemnation. Maybe for years. Just the feeling that you're not good enough. You can't stop thinking about your mistakes. Maybe it's how you've lived your life. How you've treated God. Maybe it's what you did to your spouse or your child. Friend, even God himself. And you've been feeling for a long time like you can't be good enough. Well, I've got good news for you. You're right. You'll never be good enough. But God loves you anyway. His love never fails. You cannot out-sin the forgiveness of God. And so let me show you the truth now. We'll put the two misconceptions up there. Right? People say there's no condemnation for anyone. Or there's no condemnation as long as you're good enough. Right? But the God's revealed word says to us, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, this, this in Christ Jesus really matters. So what does it mean then to be in Christ Jesus? Because Jesus doesn't just cover everyone. It's a decision. Are you in Christ Jesus or are you not in Christ Jesus? To be in Christ Jesus is to say to God, God, I believe that I have sinned. They've broken your holy law, but that you love me so much that you sent Jesus to take my place, to take my punishment. And I come in under him now. In other words, you're saying, I'm leaving my old life behind where I was the leader and I did whatever I wanted to do. And I'm making Jesus the leader of my life by believing that he died for me. It's not by being good enough and kind of getting your life together. Oh, I'll start coming to church again and I'll stop doing that. That's not it. God will change your life, 
but we are saved or forgiven by coming in Christ, by saying, I believe you died for me. And when you do that, it's just like that picture of Shamil and his mother. When you place your faith in Jesus that he died for you, it's like coming in the loving arms of Jesus and he has now covered you. And when he covers you, there is now, therefore, no condemnation for you because the condemnation has come upon Jesus instead. And so, therefore, you are forgiven of all of your sins. God can't condemn you again because the condemnation has already come upon Jesus. And friends, that, that is love. And that is who God really is. And I will tell you, it is so much more beautiful than any of the misconceptions that the world thinks is actually a better version of God. It's not. This is so much more beautiful than God just sort of apathetically shrugging his shoulders and saying, oh, you know what, I don't really care. Everybody can come in. No, no, no. This is such better news than God saying, well, as long as you kind of keep your act together, then you can. No, the truth, the truth of God is that God has seen absolutely everything you have ever done. And still he loves you so much that he sent his son to die in your place. That's the truth. And the beauty of it is that any single person, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, any single person can make a decision to say, I want to be in Christ. I don't want to carry around condemnation on me anymore. You know, I need to stop living saying like, oh, it's fine, I'll be good enough. I need to come in Christ. And have him forgive me so I know that I'll spend eternity in heaven for him. And I know he'll come in my life and change me because that's what he will do. But it's a decision. Every single person has to make a decision. Am I in Christ or am I out of Christ? And so what I want to do is I want to give you a chance to make that decision. And by making that decision, God wipes away everything you've ever done. And he will change your life. So let's just do this. Let's just have everybody in the room. Would you just... Just for a minute or two, would you just close your eyes? You maybe even bow your head. If you've never made this decision before to say, you know what, I get it now. I believe I don't have to be good enough, but you love me so much you died for me. I, I want to believe that today so I can be forgiven. I want to surrender my life to you today. That's a decision you can make right now, and God will cover you right now. That's his love for you. You know, I, I seriously, I urge every single person in this room to weigh seriously the truth that if you do not place your faith in Jesus, you say, no, it's fine, I'm sure it'll be fine. If you do not place your faith in Jesus, God is a just judge. And we have sinned against him. And if you don't let Jesus cover you, then that condemnation comes upon us. And you will be separated for all of eternity from God in hell. So my friend... Let this God who loves you so much, let him rescue you today. It's as simple as just making a decision to say, I believe. I, right now, I believe. I want to be in Christ. I, wanna, I need to be forgiven. So if that's you, in just a minute, I want you to mark this day. Say, yeah, today I believe. I'm going to be forgiven. I'm going to step in under the covering of in Christ. If that's you, by marking this day, what I want you to do as everyone has their eyes closed, so I don't even think about this. This is for you. By marking this day, by saying, I believe, I actually want you to just quietly stand up wherever you are right now to say, yep, I need it. 
I can't make it on my own. I have sinned. I have broken his law. I need his forgiveness, and he will forgive you. If that's you, wherever you are, would you just stand up? Go ahead. Anyone here where you're just feeling like, man, I'm messed up. I can't do this on my own. I need to turn my life over to him. Come in under him. It's a choice you can make today and he'll forgive you. If that's you, would you just boldly just stand up wherever you're at to mark this day? Anyone here that needs to do that? I'll give you about 10 seconds or so. If your heart is just beating fast, you're like, I don't know, should I? Just, just, yes, you should. Anyone here that needs to do that? All right. I don't see anybody in this service, but if you are at a spot where you feel like, I do need to do this, what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to, I'm just going to walk out in the lobby uh, during our announcements here, and if you're like, I need to do this, but I just couldn't stand up, and there's other people, uh, why don't you just come meet me out there and I'll just give you next steps, some resources for how you can start that journey with Jesus. And you know what? If you're like, I just don't know. I'm really interested in this and I'm just, I need to know more. That is f- totally fine. I would say to you, just take a Bible with you today. Start reading about Jesus. And by the way, this is a decision. You don't have to make this in church. You could do this tonight. You could kneel by the side of your bed and just say, God, what I heard this morning, it's just been ripping me apart all afternoon. I... <laughs> I believe you died for me. I'm giving my life to you. And God, that, that is amazing. Do that as well. But just keep seeking him. And I want you more than anything to know how much your father in heaven loves you and is pursuing you, okay? All right, let me, let me pray for us and then we'll continue on with our service. Lord, thank you so much for this day, for this grand opening. We just thank you that you love us, that you pursue us, that you somehow have seen us in our darkest, most awful, horrible moments. And even after seeing that in our future, you still said, I'll go to the cross and I'll die for them. That's just, I, don't, I can't even comprehend love like that. And we thank you for it. And we worship you for it. And we're so grateful for it. It's in your name we pray.